Again, we are still in the Psalms. It's only been two weeks, so I don't want to hear any groaning yet about how long we're in a series. Or any comments, Dusty. Keep them to yourself. I want to hear it. We are in the Psalms again. We're in Psalms 34 today. We were in Psalm 130 last week. Real quick, if you are a note taker, fbcdan.com slash notes. Why do I say that every week? Because I expect new people to be here, and I expect new people to be watching through the camera. That's why. Keep that in your pocket and think about it. fbcdan.com slash notes. You can take notes, email those to yourself if you like to do that electronically. If you don't, then don't. Also, we are doing a Psalms challenge this month. If you missed last week, then you are three days behind, but you can catch up, I promise. We're trying to read through the book of Psalms this month. If you go to fbcdan.com slash notes, there's a link at the bottom that takes you to this link, so you don't have to write that down. You can if you're that type of person, that's cool, but you don't have to do that. But basically, it's five Psalms a day. Five Psalms a day will get you through the book of Psalms uh, in a month. Uh, it's not exactly that way on the plan because there's a few psalms that are longer than that. Psalm 119 is humongous. Um, so challenging us to do that. Read through the psalms this month. I'm challenging myself. You don't have to do this, but I'm challenging myself to read through the psalms this month and every month for a year. And I'm going to try to commit as many of the psalms to memory in that year that I can. We looked last week at, the, at a big intro on the Psalms. I won't go back through all of that. If you want to hear the big, long intro to, and information on Psalms, you can go back and listen to last week's message, and you can hear that. But suffice it to say that the Psalms are a huge book full of, full of a, a lot of information uh, and, and everything that it is to be human. Uh, human. It's, a, it's a devotion guide. It's a prayer guide. Uh, it's become a song book. Uh, even though it's not a hymn book like we think of a hymn book, um, but it, it, is, it is that to some degree. Uh, it was songs that were sang by the Israelites. It's these songs, some of these songs have been sang for 3,000 years. Uh, the book in the Hebrew is called the Tehillim, which is the book of praises, which is really what it is. It's here's everything it is to be human, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the hard, but in, even in all of that, I'm still praising God, and here's how, and here's why. I'm still praising God. So that's what the book, excuse me, is. There's 150 of them, and it's broken down into five different books. Today we're looking at book one when we look at Psalm 34. Uh, book one is all De Davidic psalms, all psalms by David except the first two. Because we looked at that last week, the first two psalms are really the intro psalms into all the other five books that are in the psalms. Reading through those quickly, uh, not to dis not to rush them, but to remind us. Psalm 1, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside streams of water that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Verse 4, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not survive the judgment, and sinners will not be in the community of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Psalm 1 teaches us that it is a good thing, a wise thing, to have the Lord's word, the Lord's instruction in our heads, in our hearts, on our minds as much as possible, to meditate on that. That's what a wise person 
does with their life. And then Psalm 2 concludes the introduction. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Holy cow, Jesus is being talked about already. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or pay homage to his son, or he will be angry and your way will lead to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 1 begins that way. Psalm 2 ends that way. There's our introduction. Meditate on God's teaching, his Torah, his Torah, his, his word. Meditate on that. Allow it to transform your life and know that there is a king that is coming. And we know now that we live on the other side of that psalm and the other side of that king coming that he has come. But we also look forward to that king coming back. Jesus, when he comes back and fully restores all things and proves that what he said he conquered, he's conquered sin and death. So, book one, again, all these Psalms, 3 through 41, are Psalms written by David except for Psalm 1 and 2. There's some really good Psalms in this book, but we're looking at Psalm 34 today. So if you're there, let's read it along together. It says, I will praise the Lord at all times. Hold yourself one second. I will tell you that whatever translation you have, you pick, you like, stick with that in the psalm readings for the month. Don't go back and forth and, and read this one and read that translation, read different English translations. The one you like, stick with that for the, for the psalm reading, and, and that way you'll have a better chance of some of that, memorizing some of that. I meant to say that already, and I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And rescues them. Verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones. Fear Yahweh. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will lack nothing good. Come children listen to me. I will teach you, teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who delights in life? Loving a long life to enjoy what is good. Keep your tongue from evil and your lip, lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And he, his ears are open to their cry for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil. To erase all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. And delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saved, saves those crushed in spirit. Many adversities come to the one who is righteous. But the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. 
Last two verses. Evil brings death to the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. All who take refuge in him will not be punished. Father God, speak to me and speak through me, God. Give us all a word that we can take away from here today and meditate upon. Lord, speak to our hearts. Change us forever. Split us open. You, you say your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, sharp enough to split bone from marrow, God. And I pray that you would lay us bare and open before you this morning so that in you we will find refuge and we will find redemption. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and the price that was paid. And we pray that as we preach your word and proclaim your gospel this morning, that those who know you, that have been saved, God, are strengthened and revived and inspired to continue to persevere as a saint in your army. And if there's anyone here today, Lord, or listening later on or listening through the camera today that has never become part of your army, they have never submitted their life to you, submitted their life to the true king, the one and only God of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Savior of all mankind, who shed his blood for them, God, would they come to faith in that today as we dig into your word. Lord, do what you and only you can do. And we pray it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right. So, you may, have, you may have a title. You probably have a title or a little thing right underneath Psalm 34 in your Bible that says something was going on. This, this psalm refers to some part of David's life. Okay? So let's back up and let's see what is taking place in David's life where this is talking about. So let's go back to 1 Samuel 21.10. I have it on the screen. You can flip there if you want to. A few books before, several books before. So it says right here, 1 Samuel 21.10. David fled that day from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. David fled from Saul's presence and went to King Achish of Gath. And your, your Bible should say something about that at the beginning of that psalm. So where is David at in his life? What is taking place? Why is David fleeing? Where is he going? And how does that help us understand this psalm a little bit better? Let's, let's think about who David is. David is the overlooked youngest son of Jesse. So early on in his life, he was a nobody. He was overlooked and he wasn't, he wasn't his dad didn't even mention him to Samuel when Samuel came by to see who else he had to be that could be a king. He, did, he didn't even mention him. He forgot to say his name. That's how overlooked he was. He's the shepherd. He's tending sheep. He's disregarded. And then he becomes the teenage hero of Israel by killing the giant Goliath. You may not have thought about that in a while, but David was a teenager when he did that. Goliath had, had paralyzed the nation of Israel with fear, and David came in and he took him down. He then goes on to become an absolute positive war hero. David is a warrior. At this point in his life, where this is taking place, where this psalm is referencing, David is the warrior of Israel. And I do not mean that in a figurative sense. He was literally a warrior for Israel. He's a war hero. It says he's slaying tens of thousands of enemy soldiers in battle. And then Samuel anoints him to be the rightful next king of Israel. A, a, a post that should have gone to his best friend. His best friend was Jonathan. 
the son of Saul. That should have been the next king if, if it follows the dynastic line. But Saul obviously messed that up. If you don't know that story, we don't have time for it today. But suffice it to say, Saul blew it. So David's the king in waiting, so to speak. God has anointed him to be the next king. So then what happened? How does all that happen? And now David's running. Why is he on the run? Why is he fleeing? Why is he, why, why, he's a hero. Why is he on the run? He's a strong warrior. Why is he on the run? Well, Saul, simply put, has become consumed with jealousy and with paranoia. We've talked many times before. We, talked, we did a whole series on this in youth this past semester about the dangers of jealousy and the dangers of envy, how it can, how it can ruin, ruin you as a human being. And it's done that to Saul. He thinks David's out to get him. He despises the recognition and the fame that David has received for his exploits in battle. He's jealous. Now, here's the thing. David could have easily, physically killed Saul. He was a better warrior. He was younger. There was no doubt that he could have just killed Saul. He didn't have to flee. He could have done that. He didn't because it would have been wrong, obviously, to murder someone is wrong. But to murder God's current king of his nation is not the right thing to do. And David knew that. So instead of doing that, he, he fled. Saul wants him dead. That is plain if, you have, if you've seen these scriptures before where we are in 1 Samuel right here. So David flees. So he doesn't do the wrong thing. He doesn't want to kill him. So what do you do with temptation? You play with it and coddle it and think you're strong enough to handle it? Well, Scripture is clear. You flee temptation. Don't play with temptation. So he leaves. He's trying to survive. He's trying to stay alive. So he first goes to Nob. And there he eats the bread with the priest, with, which Jesus references later on in the New Testament, references back to this when he says, Hey, I know what the law says, but sometimes there's a higher order of the law. And, and, and in this instance, it proves David was famished. He had been running for quite some time, and he was Worn out, he needed food. He wasn't supposed to eat this bread, but the priest let him eat the bread because proving that the highest law is life, the preserving of life, the protection of life. And so he breaks the food regulation at the priest's order and eats. And there at Nob, he's recognized by one of Saul's spies. And so he quickly takes Goliath's sword that was left with this priest. At this, at this synagogue, at this, at this place of worship where he, in Nob, he had left it there after he killed Goliath. He takes that as a weapon, the only weapon there available. He left in such a hurry he didn't even take a weapon with him. He takes Goliath's sword, and there he leaves again. He flees again. This time he goes to Gath, which is where we are here in 2110. He goes to Gath where the king is Achish. Here's the interesting part to this, to me. I know sometimes I play fast and loose with the word interesting, but it's interesting to me. I think it should be interesting to you too. The interesting thing is David is like the man right now in his life. He is the man. And he thinks he can go to Gath and just be a nobody, be unrecognized. Like He's just going to go there to enemy territory, the nation beside Israel, the place where he's killed Thousands and thousands of their soldiers killed the soldier of their army in Goliath. 
but he's just going to go slide into Gath and just chill and nobody's going to recognize him. I mean, I know they didn't have the media like we do then, but come on, David, like, what are you thinking? You're not thinking. He's being, he was being foolish, honestly. But sometimes when you're scared and you're fearful, you do foolish things. So he's trying to go there and just blend in, but he can't. He's, he's a well-known warrior of God at this point. And not only that, guess where Gath is? Guess who's from Gath? Goliath. It's Goliath's hometown. The giant hero of the Philistines was from Gath. So yeah, they're going to know who David is. He's not going to go there and blend in and everything just be okay. He is an enemy, and he is the enemy to them as far as they're concerned. So obviously he's recognized in Gath fairly quickly. Not only has he killed Goliath, but he's, he's killed many, many, many Philistines in battle. So what happens? Verse 11. He goes there trying to blend in. Then it says, but Achaz, his servant, said to him, isn't this David, the king of the land? The servant says to his king, isn't this David, the king of the land? Don't they sing about him during their dances? Saul has killed their thousands, but David his tens of thousands. David took this to heart and became very afraid of King Achash of Gath. It, it always, it's always funny to me when you see someone that has been so strong and so fierce and such a warrior in, in, in spiritual ways or in physical ways, and then something happens and they just become a chicken. They just get scared. There's so many stories of that in Scripture. It's like, it's almost like these people they're talking about are like real people. Like they're real human beings, like you and me. You know, they're not fake superhero myths. They're real human beings. They got scared. He's scared. It says right there that, <laughs> that this soon-to-be king of God's people, that he's already recognized by the enemy as the, quote, king of the land. Right? He's the man. This is the dude. He's, he's scared. He's afraid. He's helpless. He's done the right thing. Catch that now. He's done the right thing by not killing Saul. He's fled. Now, fleeing to enemy territory, pretty stupid on his part. But he's done the right thing in not killing Saul when he could have. He's fled once, now twice. And now he's in a situation where he's absolutely helpless. I mean, think about where, where, what, what, is, what this would look like. It's not one king. It's a king with an army. There is no chance for David to get out of there through his own physical prowess, through his own warlike ability. He can't fight his way out of this situation. Not even David could fight his way out of this situation. And he recognizes that, and he is scared. He's scared. So what does he do? What would you do? We like to be the hero in the story, but what would, what would you do in this situation? I don't know. You wouldn't know either until you get there. What does David do? Verse 13, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. He acted like a madman around them, scribbling on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. He, he, he's, he's drooling on himself. He's, he's running around like with crayons. You know, He's acting like he's cuckoo. He's acting like he's nuts. He's acting like he's crazy. He pretends to be crazy. <laughs> In other words, all his strength, all his might, all his fame, all his glory, all of his skill, 
The fact that he literally has Goliath's sword on his side. None of that matters now. None of that matters now. Not in the situation he's in. None of that matters now. He has to rely on God to help him out of this situation. And he decides in the moment to act crazy. And in that, hoping God somehow saves him. Think of the, picture it. Like, what if I was, I mean, I know I spit sometimes when I preach, but what if I was up here just like, spit was just coming down my beard. Like, that, we still think that way, don't we? I mean, if someone walked in here and was coloring on that and drooling down their beard, I've got a list of who I think will be the first ones to do that, but you'd be like, that guy's crazy. And that's what they thought. That's what they think. Verse 14, look, the king is talking now. Look, you can see this man is crazy. Achish says to his servants, why do you bring him to me? Do I have a shortage of crazy people that you brought this one to act crazy around me? Is it, you think this dude is coming to my house? And then in verse 20, or excuse me, chapter 22, first verse, so David left Gath and took refuge in a cave in Adullam. Simple little story that I've read over that before and never thought about all the things that go into that. But it's funny, right? It worked. This warrior, this, this soon-to-be king, this giant slayer, this man amongst men pretends to be crazy to get out of a situation hoping that somehow God will let him do that. And what happened? God saved him once again and will many more times in David's life. This is the event that this psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 34, is referenced around. This is what's going on in David's life when he writes this psalm. Now, it's written in generalities. It doesn't specifically say things about this, but it's written in a way that it applies to you and to me, just the same as it applies to David. But that, these are the things David is dealing with when he writes this psalm. When he penned this psalm, this is what he's going through. This was his reference. When you've got nothing else, you've got God, and he's enough. That's what, psalm, that's what David is saying in this psalm. So quick note to the skeptics out there. You may have noticed in your reference that it says when David acted insane in front of Abimelech, but then he's called Achish here in 1 Samuel. There's a simple reason for that. Achish is his name, and Abimelech is the title of the king of the Philistines. Kind of like the Pharaoh was the king for the Egyptians, but not his name. It's a title. So it's not a contradiction. Achish is his name. Move on. God's word is right. I don't know what else to tell you. So what does David say in this psalm as he is in this inescapable situation and then is delivered by God? What does he have to say to us today? He starts off with what it almost always starts off with. Verse 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. It was very foolish of David to think that he could go into enemy territory and hide out unrecognized. And he is delighted and grateful to be out of that situation with his hide still intact, literally. So what does he do? He praises God. He praises the Lord. Bless the Lord. When? At all times, David says. In the good times and in the bad. His praises are all I should think about, is what David is saying. 
And the same is true for you and for me. Verse 2 says, I will boast in the Lord. The, the humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Now, for those of you that are slow on the uptake, we did just sing these words just a couple of minutes ago. I'm a little bit of sarcasm there, but these are the same, this is the same thing we just sang a minute ago. I love that psalm too, by the way, that musical version of this psalm. It says, the people boast in me. My people, God's people, they boast in me. David is saying that. The people, they sing about me killing the tens of thousands. Saul's killed a thousand, I've killed tens of thousands. They boast in me. They think I'm something special. They think I'm what matters. And all that's in vain, David says. David says, I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the, the God, in God the Lord. Hear everyone and be glad in our ability to boast in God. And I love that word there, proclaim. Proclaim Yahweh's greatness. It's not an insignificant statement to proclaim something. This is not just, oh yeah, Yahweh's great. It's not, the, it's not the sacrifice of praise, the puny sacrifice of praise we bring to church often. Eh, let's proclaim Yahweh's greatness. Hasn't he done a lot for us? Woo! This word here is gadol in the Hebrew. To grow, to become great or important, to promote, to make powerful, to praise, to magnify, as it says it in the way we sing it. To do great things. Magnify and proclaim Make great Yahweh's greatness. And here's the key. Together. See that? Proclaim Yahweh's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us exalt his name together. Magnify and proclaim Yahweh's greatness together. You and me exalt his name together. This thing following Jesus is not a solo relationship. Never has been from the beginning. Never was intended to be that way. The idea that you and you alone only have a personal relationship with Jesus is not what God asked us to do in and of itself. Before some of you get, I saw some of you shift in your seat. Yes, we must have a personal relationship with God. But that is only to be expressed in the communal setting. That is the way God made it. We are to express that faith and that desire for praise. We are to express how it is to follow Jesus and to live for him together. And there's no other way that God has designed that. We have to do this together. Why? Because a million reasons. It helps proclaim his greatness. It helps you and me have strength. You pick me up when I'm down. I'll do the same for you. We are supposed to do this together. It's a communal relationship. It's you and it's me and it's us together with God proclaiming Yahweh's greatness and exalting his name together. And when we do that, I'm here to tell you, it's special. It's special. There ain't nothing like it. There ain't nothing like it. When you truly experience that, it's like this tiny glimpse into eternity into heaven. Whew, and it is nice. 
So lesson number one David gives us here in this gives us here in this psalm. Praise God no matter what he is great. Praise him together. It says there I sought the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. I sought the Lord. Seek him. Aim for him. Pursue him. And you will find that he delivers. He delivered David from this situation in Gath that he had gotten himself into. They were certainly about to destroy him. And he delivered him from that. And he will show up for you as well, church. He will show up for us as well, church. When we are trying to do the right thing, even though we stumble and we fall and we mess it up all the time, when our aim is him and our aim is what is right, he will deliver us in those situations. You will find that the Lord God is faithful and true, just like he says he is in Revelation 21. And then he says he fills us up with joy. Everlasting joy, eternal joy, because like, like uh, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego say in, in, in Daniel, I want you to know that we're not bowing down to you and that God's going to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him. Even if he doesn't save us from this physical thing, he's still our God and we're not bowing down to you no matter what. It costs us in this life because ultimately we know we win regardless of what we are in our minds blessed with in this life or not. It's not just about that. So yes, eternal joy, ultimate deliverance from sin and from death in a sin-filled world. The word here, radiant, is used for the joyfulness of a mother welcoming home her children. That's what this word radiant means. Think of that, what that looks like on the face of a mom when she hasn't seen her kids in a while. and She's welcoming her children back into her home. Radiant joy on their face. The opposite of this. Bless me if you can. I don't know what that is, but that doesn't say radiant joy to me. It says their faces will never be ashamed. Will never be ashamed for following Jesus and doing it the right way. It reminds me of Numbers 24 through 26. The, the priestly blessing, which has been popularized because of a uh, worship song that has come out the last few years. It says, may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor on you and give you peace. Radiant face that is never ashamed. Verse 6, the poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues him, rescues them. When David, in his spirit, cried out to God at Gath, and trust me, before he acted insane, he's thinking, God, do something, please. That's, in, that's implied and understood in this situation. If you, if you don't get it from 1 Samuel, you definitely get it from this psalm, which is what's cool about Scripture. He cried out to God at Gath, and God answered. He's saying, yes, yes, I acted insane, and that worked. But I know I was relying on God to take care of me in that situation. It wasn't that what I did. It was that I trusted in God to protect me. In this moment, 
in this moment, David is saying, I was a poor man. I had nothing, nothing except for the hope that God would save me. And in that, I had everything. The same way we are now spiritually. You're not in Gath being overtaken by enemies, but spiritually you are just as poor as David is physically here until you have Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you've got all you need. Without, with, without hope, unless God does something to save us. And God has done something to save us. He did do something. He sent the angel of the Lord here. The angel of the Lord, which we now know when we look back at the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. This, this is called the, the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. The big fancy seminary word for that is a Christophany. This is an appearing of Jesus before he actually appeared in the flesh. What was God's answer to this poor man crying out, Lord, save me, Lord, do something, Lord, deliver me? He sent Jesus, the same thing he does now. It's a Christophany. In other words, he sent Jesus, Jesus to take care of David then, and he sent Jesus in the flesh to take care of sin on a cross to deliver us all once and for all. We finish with verse 8 today. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the man who takes refuge in him. I love this line of this song. Taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord, Yahweh, God the everlasting Father of it all, is good. Now, at Camp Solomon this year, they've had done different things at different times, different years, but this year was the first year that they specifically had the prayer room open before the evening service and invited, the staff has always done this, but they invited counselors to come and do that with them. So before the service on, in the evenings during the week, you could go 30 minutes before and you could pray in the side room before everybody came into the worship center for worship that night. And Josh and I went a few nights, and one night Josh and Kelly and I went. We spent some time praying during this time before the service. And, and on that night, as my prayer, all I said in my prayer was Psalm 34. I just read Psalm 34 as my prayer because that was what I was hoping for that night. It's what I was hoping God would do for us, that he would do these things for us during that time. And then as Josh is praying, in his prayer, he references this verse that I had just read. He references back to this, and he says, Lord, let us experience you tonight. You say, taste and see, and that's a physical experience of your goodness. So, Lord, let all our students taste and see that you are good tonight. Let them physically experience your presence and your goodness because that's what that verse is saying. I'm here to tell you, that night's worship was powerful. Powerful. I was on the very edge of the sanctuary, so I kind of stepped back a little bit where I could see our entire group without being a distraction because I, I don't want them to feel like they're being watched and disrupt their worship, but I was in a unique spot that night where I could just kind of back off a little bit, and I could, just, I could see the entire sanctuary, almost a thousand people, mostly students, mostly under the age of 18, 
And the entire sanctuary is just worshiping their heart out. And I stepped back and I could see all of our, our students and all of our adults that were there. And I'm here to tell you that every one of our adults and every one of our students was absolutely encaptured with their worship. We were worshiping together. At the same time, it was just that person and the Lord. Singing out. Singing out. Physically expressing, expressing the desire to magnify the Lord. Physically expressing, not just with their mouth, physically. It's, it's just exuding out of them in many different ways because there's not a wrong way to do that. It was amazing. I'm here to tell you, it revived this old man. It revived me in a way that I haven't experienced in worship in a long time. It touched me down to the absolute marrow of my bones. I, I felt a fresh wind of fire from the Holy Spirit that I haven't felt in quite some time, church. I'm not going to lie to you. And then I stepped back in. Because being an being a observer of that kind of worship ain't good enough. It was, it was amazing to observe it. But then I stepped right back into where I was. Right back in the middle of it. Praised God with a strength of praise that I haven't felt in a long time. All I'm saying is this. Always remember how powerful it is for us to be together and to worship in spirit and truth. Not in timidity and self-consciousness. Worried about what we're doing or what someone else thinks about what we're doing. Not in that. That's not truth. And that's not in the spirit. But coming boldly before the throne of God. Bowing down before the king of the universe. The one who holds all of this whole thing in his hand. Coming before him and worshiping him in a way that expresses that greatness. A desire to magnify that greatness. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste his word. Experience his goodness Know him better, enjoy him more, and all the more as you do that. It's a pretty special thing. This word here that for good, taste and see that the Lord is good, it's used 70 times in the book of Psalms, almost 70. Four times just in this psalm. Right here where we see it, and then we don't like anything, tov, we don't like anything good in verse 10, and then who, who is it that, that has tov or goodness? Who is it that is good? The man who turns from evil and seeks what is tov, seeks what is good. God says, trust me, seek me, taste me, see me, and you will find that I am good. And that's what I love. I love about our God. He says, try me. Do it my way and try me and see if I come up lacking. I won't. He never has, he never will. He is good. And he is worth everything, even our physical life. So if you've never trusted in him today, I pray that you will. And if you have, when we come here together, let's magnify the king of the universe like he deserves. Lord, I pray 
today that your word has done what your word can do. Lord, as we finish in song, if there's business to be taken care of, Lord, spiritually or otherwise, I pray that you would lead those that need to make that decision or do something in, in your name to obey and to, and to handle that business during this time, God. May we worship you well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.